on, Bench Fam. Ron Rapitalo here. We've got my friend from my NYU days in the 90s, Risa Morimoto, on the mic. And she shares her journey from studying East Asian studies to becoming a filmmaker and then starting her own company YouTube channel called Modern Aging. She discusses the importance of a holistic approach to health and the need to marry Western and Eastern medicine. Risa also emphasizes the power of gratitude and resilience in navigating life challenges. She also highlights the privilege of aging gracefully, the importance of creating safe spaces for conversation about aging and health. We then conclude by talking about healthy habits and the small actions that can lead to a more fulfilling life. Check out Risa on this episode, and we are sponsored by Leverage Publishing Group. We ghostwrite, edit, and publish first-time authors. Peace. Ronderings, Ronderings, Ronderings universe. I keep going the way back machine, fam, because I have my dear friend, Asian American co-conspirator and doer of lots of things, especially including being a filmmaker, a podcaster, a documentarian, my friend, Risa Morimoto. Risa, welcome to the mic on Ronderings. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm so happy to see you. I yeah. don't see you enough, and it's just—it's sad that it takes something like this for us to kind of come together. But such is life, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm happy to see you and and talk with you today because, yeah, talk about way back. Yes, way back. It's we're going on. I think almost thirty years. No. 20 oh years. my God, Lord! You're not going to talk about or share any photos of what Ron with his bad fade looked like in undergrad in the mid '90s. So, oh, it's all over the internet, Ron. <laughs> that is true. It was on that Facebook group for because it was 25 years for APA studies when we advocated and agitated for that at New York University. Ain't that That's something? Right. That's right. Yeah. No, our kind of claim to fame, right? Pretty amazing yeah. to be able to put that feather in our hat and say that we helped start Asian American studies at NYU. So no, the NYU days, definitely, definitely a very special place in my heart. Same here. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you continue to help so many young people, which is awesome. And, you know, through this podcast and through all the other work that you're doing, it's, it's really, really amazing. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the amount. Oh my God. Thank you, Auntie Risa. So, Risa, let's get right into it. What's your story? My gosh. You know, I think everybody's story, including my own, always is a surprise, right? We think we're going down one path and it just takes a left turn and puts you on a completely other path. And I am no different. You know, I studied Asian American study, not Asian American, sorry, sorry. I studied East Asian studies as an undergrad, thinking that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of do international relations, do a lot of work in mm. Asia. And then I met my husband and he's the one who turned me on to filmmaking. And ah. yeah, you have that one conversation. You know, I, I, I was in a very traditional kind of upbringing where I thought I would have to, you know, get a job and make money and, you know, do mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And yeah. but my parents were both very creative people. They're both artists and, and, but being, a, doing art as your job just didn't seem like it was a, a realistic route for me until my husband. Yeah. Until my husband said, you know, why don't you become a filmmaker? I'm like, who does that for a living? <laughs> they don't make money aren't those the folks who wait tables for us like it's just the kinds of things you get about like what 
folks do when they're creative and they're artists are just very misinformed. Yeah, you got to be careful. Be careful what you wish for, you know, because it, yeah. if you really do think those positive thoughts of where you really are, where you want to be, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a second, I'm sitting here, you know, directing, you know, a TV show in Thailand. And but anyway, so long story short, though, I did go to I ended up going to film school at NYU and and wanted to really focus on education and and film and documentary film in particular and really mm. help move needles, right? Just start start having conversations that people aren't having or, you know, putting different thoughts into people's head that, you know, maybe we can just shift the way we do things or shift the way people think just a little bit, enough to create curiosity, right? It's all about mm. creating curiosity. And then when I was 33, my mom had a massive stroke in front of me. We were all having lunch and at the time, I think we all thought, oh, she's going to get better, like you always think, right? It's like, oh, this will be just a minor setback, but it wasn't. That turned into Parkinson's. It turned into a 19-year journey of taking care of her, and she wow. passed in 2019. So, you know, there are these pivotal moments in your life, and you're like, you ask all the questions to the universe, right? Of why, why is this happening? Why is this happening to my mother? Why is this happening? And I'm sure you've asked many of the same questions yourself, right? Yes. But then as you're on these journeys, you just realize that it transforms you and it just puts you on a path where you're destined to be to begin with. And you couldn't have gotten there any other way. So I had, you know, I got into directing TV. I got into making short documentaries. I made some feature documentaries. And then I turned 40. It's in my 40s. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, what is, mm. what, what is the impact that I want to make at, when this whole journey is over? right? What is it that I want to leave behind and that sort of thing? And I realized the impact and the influence that taking care of my parents had on me. My dad was diagnosed with um, dementia in 2016. He passed from COVID in 2020. And I felt that I had a lot to share. And this was, this was this crisis that was coming down the pipe that I could see so clearly for so many families that mm. it's just there is no map. So I started a company called Modern Aging. And since, you know, media was my form, you know, filmmaking was my form, I started yeah. a YouTube channel, I started uh -huh. interviewing people, mm. I started going to places, asking questions, touring places. And so that became my superpower, right? To be able to tell these stories and tell other people's stories. Yeah, I, I, I directed many, many episodes of House Hunters International. And through that, I was traveling quite a bit. And Mexico was one of those countries that I was traveling to quite often and met many new friends, many new realtors, realizing that that us, how do we, how do we age in a better way? How do we have converse, difficult conversations? How do we take care yeah. of ourselves? You know, we're so built to just like work, 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 retire, then die. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yep. Put it to the grind. Only relax when you have reached this pinnacle in mid-60s, roughly, maybe early 70s, where you can really just lay back. But you might actually die before then because we're not enjoy as much to enjoy what that life could be. Or not exactly. have enough of the finances because of the way things go in this economy to be able to stop working or work less. So. Exactly. And mm. how do we make work joyful, right? How do we create a lifestyle? Because stress, 
with all the doctors, all healthcare professionals, all the, and I, and I definitely take a very integrative holistic approach towards health, but I just Mm. realized that stress really is at the core of so much illness and so much distress in so many people's lives and how that inflammation that's created in your body because of the stress manifests itself into physical illness. And here we are, you know, and it just becomes this snowball. So how do we prevent that from happening? Right. And it's lifestyle. It's, it's everything. It's not just the food that we eat and how much exercise we're getting, but it's, you know, who we're spending our time with, where are we living? You know, do we create a, a nurturing environment? What's our work environment? Like there's all these things that we don't really take seriously enough and how like, it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts, right? All these little things yep. that bring us down. This, so you're reminding not- me, Risa, of the Netflix documentary, which I'm sure you've watched about what it's like to live to 100. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's something to it. Like, you're right. There is no magic formula. There are set principles. There are things you can do. But some of these things are also a little bit contextual, right? Based on the community that you opt into or the community that you're born into, right? And so how do you make these things possible? You know, because not everyone's going to live, you know, on the water with like fresh produce and all these things, right? Even though we want that to be true, right? right? What are things you can go towards in order to live a more joyful life? Exactly. And joy just looks different to different people, right? It's not the same thing. And I think that that we also underestimate the power of joy and laughter and feeling safe and feeling, you know, that we are around our people, right? I think that for many of us, uh, you know, we're always in search of that. Who's our tribe going to be? Who who are the people that are going to have my back? And Mm -hmm. that seemingly doesn't feel like it relates to health, but it does. Because yeah. when, you do, when you're not stressed out and when you feel safe and when you feel like you can be your authentic self, so many other things start to happen, right? Yeah. So this has been my, kind of my passion, I guess you'd say, my destiny, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't really have a term for it, but yeah. I just know that I'm supposed to be doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you, right? You know, you know when you're in the right place. You know when you're yes. doing the right work and other things just start to kind of pop up. And so I've just been really, you know, despite this horrible, horrible disease that overcame my mom and, you know, and, and it makes me so sad because she, you know, she had the stroke at 65. So right at her prime, right? Right when she was yeah. working so hard her whole life and now the rest of her life was basically all about her sickness. But despite that, she still found joy every day. Despite that, she yeah. never complained. Like, she mm. was, still was able to laugh, right? And, and the funny thing is, the irony was, is that all her children were around her until she died because she was sick. So everybody came home. My brother had to move back from Colorado. I never yeah. moved away. I was in New York City. My sister lived next door. Right. You know, Paul was very much involved. He was like her best friend. You know, so we were mm. all just like so tied to her care. Um, because we had to, but because of that, we all got to be closer, yeah. you know, and which probably wouldn't have happened if she remained healthy. Mm. So anyway, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit, but I guess there's no avoiding our aging process, right? And I think yeah. that how can we do it in a way that 
is one healthier, not only for our mind, but for our physical body and for our soul. I feel like we neglect our soul a lot. You know, I think that we need to figure out ways for ourselves, create boundaries, whatever, you know, it's whether it's creating boundaries, creating new habits, whatever it may be, but right. how do we create a healthier lifestyle? And so I developed Modern Aging, which has, you know, and that's that's how uh, we got reconnected was because I started doing um, interviews and videos. I developed a course with Tina Tang, who is a you strength did. training coach. Yes, who's also been a Ron Rings podcast guest, by the way, just so people know. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> and she has an amazing story too, right? It's like kick ass, right? Who at 42 decides to become a strength training coach and says, you know what? I'm not mm-hmm. going to allow people to tell me what I can and cannot do. And, you know, at 50, she's doing, you know, it was like 12 pull-ups. I'm like, I'm looking at her. <laughs> I've seen her do it in class because we work out together still on occasion. And it's just like, wow. I mean, we run circles around all the young bucks that we work out with. So I always laugh. I'm like, see, they don't know. Yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. See, this is, this is one of the things about, you know, getting a little bit older. You, you kind of, you know, it's not all bad. As, it's as some people may want people to know. I mean, there is a lot of beauty in, in terms of, Getting older and getting wiser, as we say, we try not to to make the same mistakes, you know. But yeah, it's just been really interesting, you know, all the people that I've met and and have talked to in terms of their own journeys and the things that we need to do, whether it is, you know, strength training or trying to eat more vegetables or, you know, some things that everything from CBD and medicinal mushrooms and all yeah. that, all that kind of fun mm-hmm. stuff. Yes to, you know, meditation and just how do we sit with ourselves and be in that uncomfortable space. I think 2023 was pretty rough for a lot of people, um, including yeah. myself included. Myself included too. Join the, yeah, the 2023 rough club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Goodness. You know, there's some sort of transformation happening. I don't know what it is. And it's, the only way to get through it is literally to go right through it and to accept accept that times, you know, times will be rough sometimes. That's a part of it. But it's okay because it's not going to be forever. Um, none of this is forever, right? And if we know that uh, yeah. we can get through it and if we know we have our people around us, it really helps. Yeah. You know? So I want to go back to the story of your mom, because there's something, if I think of my own mom's experience, I think, you know, my mom had a stroke, a mini stroke, 10 years before she passed. I thought she was going to pass. I remember the Shanita and I, my wife, traveled down to Florida because I thought, oh no, she's not going to be around much longer. And yet, on a very similar year, like my mom is by far the strongest person I've ever met in life. She lived till 84. Unfortunately, those last number of years of life, even predating her stroke, were not easy for her health-wise at all. It just was a very slow decline because she worked so hard. Graveyard shifts as a nurse's aide for like two decades at least. Right? It's crazy. Having to yep. raise our family when my dad passed when I was 10. All that stri- all this, you know what I'm saying? And so Can you imagine what it's like to have your spouse die when you no. have these kids? There's a moment that like I think about when after my dad passed and it was like a week or two after the wake. And I remember hearing my mom sobbing in the basement going through my dad's things. And like at 10, I just was like, oh, I don't know how to deal with that. Like, and I think it became 
the beginning of like how I learned to deal with things when they were too intense and I would avoid. Mm-hmm. It's still something at the age of four. Like you want to talk about like one of the things that creates incredible stress in me is my avoidance tendency, right? When I don't avoid, I always feel better. Right. <laughs> which is like, which is not how my brain was computed to think as a kid, right? So the question I want to ask you is when you think about your mom's story, what allowed her to be so resilient and joyful through those 19 years when she had that stroke? Because I don't know if that's everyone's experience, not with the, like, there's so many folks in our age group who have aging parents. And I hear, and it's a range. It's a real range. Like your mom's story and how she was in that process feels very different from what I've often heard of other aging parent stories. Actually, which is funny because I just finished a four-part short documentary series on Asian American families and caregiving and profiled four families. And it Mm. was really amazing in so many ways. But for my mom, first of all, I don't think she was always joyful. I think she was probably very lonely Mm. and very, probably in the beginning, had a lot of complex feelings. She just never told us, right? So in front of us, she was... But I Mm. do think the one thing that drove her was her absolute need and her... She just was always so grateful, no matter how bad things got. Mm. And even, you know, my dad was a horrible husband. He was a terrible father. He was very strict. He was abusive, physically, emotionally. And even during those times, she was like, you know, she would always say to me, you know, you have to forgive your father. You have to understand, you know, yeah. She she just was never angry about any of it. And I'd be like, Mom, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, she just would wake up every morning. And she'd say, did you say thank you very much? Thank you. What do you have to be grateful for today? Mm. And that 1,000% carries me today. Like, I I think about that all the time. All the time. Every single morning. And the the funny thing is, is, and I don't know if you have that same similar memory of your mom, like once they're gone, which is nice because she was sick for, for 19 years, right? The last 19 years of her life. Yeah. But my memories of her are her being well and her Same being here. joyful, which is weird, right? Yes. But I'm really happy about that too. Like, So when she comes to me in my thoughts and stuff, it's it's always a positive thing. It's never a, uh, you know, and that I I am very grateful for to be able to carry that. And there are a lot of, you know, very big life lessons that at the end of the day, you know, there's always something to be grateful for because it sometimes it just doesn't seem like there's anything to be grateful for, to be quite frankly, when the shit's going down and yeah. things are really horrible and you just mm. don't know the answer or you don't mm. know how to feel in the moment and you just feel like crap, you can turn to gratitude. Gratitude gives a perspective to understand what presence you have in the present. Right. I sound like a damn Hallmark card. No. I know. <laughs> New industry. It's so hard, right? New like, I hate right. that. Like, I don't want to be cliche about it, but it really is simple. Yeah. You know, uh, um, I think we tend to overcomplicate everything. Yeah. And there's ways to like, I, I think, you know, it's funny. I, I recently wrote my, my last Ronderings post on social media was about being grateful for the present. So I, I talked about it within the construct of our family going to Sunday swim lessons. And so it's like a weekly ritual. Mm -hmm. We go to swim lessons and then we eat afterwards. And it's this family bonding time. And at least for 
my wife is not yet, I mean, she knows how to swim and we got to get her back into swim lessons too. But our, my baby daughter's like time with the swim lessons wouldn't allow her to also take swim lessons with me. But it's incredible to go through a learning process and have all these things, right? So we're learning as a family, right? And then we all go out to eat. So we have this rotating thing, like food is off at the center of like our communities, right? It was just like going out to eat and have that ritual. We all get to choose a place we like. Sophia loves going to Pizzeria Uno. It's her default. She just wants to eat pizza <laughs> all the damn time, right? I was like, you're going to turn it into a slice of pizza. Is that what you want? It's like, I will gladly turn a slice of pizza down. I'm like, oh, geez, okay. But I was talking about how just grateful I felt for like those little things because look, as we said, 2023 has been you know, really rough for many of us. I think there's probably quite a big membership in this rough club of 2023. And being grateful for what is still the good things that are happening in my own life and my family's life is what grounds me. Because if I worry about all the other stuff, ooh, you want to say create stress and go down a rabbit hole and like have mental health do this, it's really easy. Even for those of us who host podcasts, talk about these things openly. We are not immune to feeling those things and going down the rabbit hole. That's the thing I would tell folks is like, you know, there's the way you can show up on these things. Well, you never feel those things, right, Rob? Or recent, like you're always, like you're in it. I'm like, no, like that is far from the truth. And so demystifying that like, you don't feel these things, but also what you do when these things are happening, right? There are things you can do to be proactive to be able to mitigate the effects of those things. Because you don't stop the feeling. Right. That doesn't happen. That's not life. You don't right. have to stop stress. <laughs> right. You know, and exactly. in some ways, the kind of work that you and I do trying to tell stories and like be out there and like being entrepreneurial, it inherently comes with stress. It just does. Like if I decided to snap my fingers and I wanted a life where Janine and I have retired in Costa Rica, as much as I want that life, I don't know if I would feel fulfilled doing that right this second. Right. I would say that would be a hard no. You would not feel fulfilled doing that right now. <laughs> Thank you, Risa. Yes, that is like knowing me for 30 is like, Ron, you'd get really bored. I'm like, yeah, probably. I could only do so much yoga on the beach and eating fresh right. food and like kind of just talking, right? Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that perspective of your mom because I think it's just like there are the things that like we often see, but there's also the experience that they're having. Right. And they're often very different. But, you know, and I think that that's, there's these things that just happen in life, right? That end up mm -hmm. defining your adulthood or end up defining, like, you don't think it's happening when it's happening, of course. of course. I did go to this workshop once and, you know, they were talking about how there are different moments in your life where basically it's a crossroads. Basically, you make a, de a decision that puts your life on a different trajectory, whether you know it at the time or not. Um, mm -hmm. And this guy had had given this example about how he, when he was little, you know, he was always told to listen, don't talk. Children are supposed to be seen, not hurt, you know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Just be quiet. Just sit there. Even when like his his mom and his mom's friend had come over and the mom's friend was like, you know, you go and play with your toys and you be quiet. So then the instructor was like, well, how did that affect you? And he said, mm. I became a therapist, <laughs> which is funny, right? Because so all he yeah. does is listen all day. Mm -hmm. He himself pieced that together once he became a therapist. But like you realize just even, you know, with my mom getting sick, how that really did change the rest of my adult life. 
and not realizing it. And now I'm dedicating my life to helping people age in a healthier way. So to prevent what happened to my mom so yeah. that, you know, you're not work, 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 and then you have a heart attack or, you know, you get diabetes or some sort of chronic illness. Because what's the point of living to 100 if you're sick the entire time and in pain and in misery? Right. Like there yeah. is no point to that to, for me. No, you know? I, I'm the same way. I, I, I tell folks and, you know, if we bring Tina Tang back into this, I often will tell her, it's like, Tina, I want to be able to, if I desire to, that's the asterisk, still powerlift into my 80s. I want to be that really strong, young looking, annoying dude, because I will be annoying because I am. I bring <laughs> that kind of energy when I work out. No lie. People know this who work out with me. He's like, that dude's really intense and cocky. I'm like, yeah, you get different wrong when you work out with me. You should do. I, 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 that's the energy I bring. It's not, unless I'm doing yoga, which is very more meditative and calming, you get Draymond Green, Ron Rapitalo when you work out. But what's interesting about just that kind of like energy and like wanting to do that is like being able to like still do things with my body and to show that I'm still capable. Now, it may mean in my 80s more likely that I move into the world of like swimming, yoga, Pilates, still some weight training, maybe not something as heavy, but I could, like it all depends, but like it's one of those things like, I think as I fast forward watching my own parents' story, my father died of a major heart attack at 52, my mom, 20 years of like, you know, her health like really spiraling pretty slowly and then dramatically, I want to live differently. Mm -hmm. I want to age gracefully. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a real privilege for you and I have this conversation because we have resources and things that our parents just did not. Right. When I go into my parents' immigrant stories, it's like they just knew the hustle. And I don't begrudge them for that because that hustle is a part of like certainly who I am, but they didn't know about all these other things. What's meditation? What's that? What is doing? Like, why would you go <laughs> see some, you know, therapist or something like, you know, like, why would, right. you, why would we do that? You know, it's right. just like, you know, well, we got to work hard and like, it'll just figure itself out. Like if we don't do that, then things don't get paid. And yet, you know, when I think about just our trajectories, right, there's a level of getting to this point. I think it's a level of privilege to be able to talk about like, what can we do to age gracefully and live like that? Because I don't think that was really an option for my parents, right? And at some level, like I, I want, part of me wants to go in the Wayback Machine and say, what if they actually had access to some of these tools and not necessarily the money, because that's different, but like the tools and the resources, and the knowledge, because I don't want to say it's all just money. So related to what you've learned in, in modern aging, is there something in particular or things that you've learned through the interviews and the podcast? You're like, I never would have thought that would be something that would allow me to live more holistically and healthfully. A bunch of things, my God. Yeah. Because we're raised to believe that, you know, on the one side, there's Western medicine, right? Yes. And you have a disease, you treat it, mm -hmm. hopefully you get better, right? Yes. We get, we're going to throw you a bunch of pills. And then Eastern medicine is more about, let's check out why this is happening. Let's look at the root of your disease yes. and try to fix that. And so it's two very vast different philosophies. And I think what I've learned is that you can marry them both, right? It's not black or white. It's not like just do this or do, you know, if you have a broken bone, Western medicine, great, right? Have an operation, you know, but if you have 
say, some sort of, you know, problem with your liver or your kidney or whatever, you know, instead of just like treating it with medicine, it's like, how do we get to the root cause of what's going on here? And, you know, do we do it through diet and through exercise and through, you know, other means that, that maybe it's, you have too much stress. I mean, you know, maybe you're living in an environment that is toxic. I mean, there's just so many different outside factors and then also our own DNA, right? So, yeah. you know, there's a reason why some people get COVID and some people don't get COVID. So it's yeah. just that we try to blanket healthcare, but really it's also bio-individual, right? So just because something works for you doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be, it's going to work for me. And that should be okay. And that we have to really take the time, but that's the problem, right? Because Western medicine is all about like rush, rush, rush efficiency in my office for Mm -hmm. five minutes and then you're gone. But there's no way to like really explore and understand a human, human being in five minutes. It's just not possible. Right. So, you know, when you start having business and insurance companies and all this kind of stuff, into the mix, it's, it is much more difficult to create a healthcare system that is holistically health, you know, caring for your health. And I, and I use the word holistic, not in a like woo woo way, but in a whole way, right? Yes. That we're really looking at all the tools that are available to us to see what works best for us. I mean, you know, I, I entered perimenopause who the hell even knew? The fact that women, including myself, did not even know that perimenopause lasts for seven to 10 years is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, how do we not know this, right? How do we mm-hmm. not know that there are 34 major symptoms that wow. are happening to our bodies? And like, until you ask those questions, you don't know. And I'm like, how do we not know this as women? This is crazy. But there's so many things like that. You know, we don't talk about death. We don't talk about, like, there's, what happens as the body is dying? Like, how do we not talk about mm. so many different issues that really affect all of us, regardless, yeah. you know? And that's why we need folks like you who are telling the stories of these practitioners who are doing that kind of work. Because I think my observation, you know, I've been in the executive search, you know, hiring world and social impact for a while. And I've learned to bring my lived experience and particularly my social justice equity lens. So, you know, the activism to build Asian American studies at NYU just got pivoted somewhere else, right? right? And it got pivoted towards what do we do to create an equitable hiring process? How do you take care of candidates? How do you push client thinking? How do you make sure that, you know, these things are still being done and whose efficiency does matter because time is money, right? And so... What I've often, I, I think what I might be observing here is the very notion that something like perimenopause, how long it lasts, its symptoms, and my own observation being a cisgendered male about how so much of world society, to be clear, I don't think there's any country I can think of that does this well off the top of my head, wants to create policies that control women's bodies. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? So therefore, like, why would you study that? That's more money. And like, you know, eh. why is that even worthy of research? Worthy of time, right? Because these things exist and then you get told like, oh, just part of your journey. It's just what happens. Oh, take right. an aspirin and grin and bear it, right? It's just, these are the kinds of things that get socialized where it's like, there's an acceptance of based on the hierarchy of how identities get put into how policies are created, particularly in the American context, use that as an example, then these things don't merit study. 
Oh, yeah. And if you're of color, it's even worse, you know? Yeah. So I do I do want to believe that things are changing, though. Um, I do feel that Gen Xers are kind of paving the way because we don't want to do what our parents did and yeah. not really accepting those social norms anymore. So, and I think because, you know, things like social media and the internet allow us to have that platform to have these conversations, right? To have these difficult conversations or to have these awkward conversations that people didn't want to have, you know, 10, 20 years ago. It's, um, and how do we normalize it? And how do we be able to create a safe space for people to be able to talk about it in a way that they don't feel like they're going to get, you know, either canceled or, you know, or ostracized or Mm -hmm. embarrassed or whatever. So that's, kind of part of my mission, I guess, is to create those safe spaces for people, especially for women of color, you know, or people of color. And I don't know. I don't know why it just became so difficult, but I think it's, I think we're in dire need of a change for sure. I think we are in dire need of a shift. And I think that we're also ready for that shift as well, you know? Yeah. So whether it's perimenopause pause or whether it's just getting older and losing muscle mass or yeah. or just really taking care of our mindsets and understanding that, you know, for people in their 50s and 60s, even 40s, right? It's a major transition that's happening that we often don't acknowledge. Oftentimes, you know, we're settled into a certain job or our marriage or whatever, right? And we are seeking some sort of change. And a lot of times I think a lot of people are like, oh, is it too late for me? Is it too late for me to shift careers? Is it too late for me to end this marriage and start to start something new? Is it too late for me? It's too late, too late, too late. Like, it's only too late if you say it's too late. The mindset shift is really important there, right? I think I often hear that within one part of the holistic treatment of our mind, body, and soul, right? Which is physical fitness, right? It's going to the gym, working out, right? And what I often coach people on is, I mean, some of this is using the brilliant work. Like it's one of my favorite books ever in the last 20 years, James Clear's Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. For me, it is the playbook. If you want to build inertia to do good things in your life, it's habits. It's not setting strategic plans. It's not setting goals. It's your habits and the environments that will support your habits, right? And so I often tell people, it's like, well, what do you enjoy doing, right? Okay. Well, how do you set that up? You have to like get into some level of detail for it so that someone can picture that it's possible. Right. And once you kind of create what that could be, it's like, you know what, Ron, I'm going to, it's hard for me to get to the gym. I can't pay for it or whatever that is. You know what? But like I can do, I'm going to, Ron, thank you for putting me onto this YouTube channel and I've got some weights that I can buy. I already have some at home and I'm going to do these 30 minute workouts three times a week from home. And I'm going to set it this time. Okay, great. Now, what do you make sure you hold yourself to it? Make sure it happens. So the habit stuff comes in. What's going to get you prepared so that when that time hits the calendar, you're going to make sure it happens. So what's the setup of like, because I think understanding that when it's too late, right, means that you've given up. But what do you do to start to push back against that and say, wait, I can build this context where, oh, it actually is possible. But it doesn't all happen overnight in terms of maybe the gains in the body or the mind or the soul that you aspire to kind of manifest. But it's literally one small 
action at a time, which doesn't sound, it's, there's nothing admittedly glamorous about that, right? From what I've learned in my own holistic health journey, it's like one really boring habit at a time. <laughs> right. I often look at like, when I, when I tell this, it was like, I look for things that are like, what's the half percent or quarter percent or maybe 1% of something I could start doing. So something I started adding, I follow this um, big Instagram health influencer. And so it's talking about like just drinking water and how oftentimes drinking too much water will not have you not bring your, like, I need more salt in my body is basically what it is. I basically take this like, you know, tasty salt supplement and I add it to my water. I don't want to say almost like every day and certainly the days that I work out, right? That's great. And I felt a difference in energy. Mm -hmm. It's felt immediate in the last week of me doing it, right? Now, it's not a small amount of money, but it's like, it feels worth it because it's like, it's an easy part of my habit. What do I do every morning? My coffee's made. I prepare my coffee. On the days I'm working out, I make a protein shake. I take my beta alanine. It's easy to then stack that and say, oh, well, I always fill my water bottle. Oh, put it 60, 18 ounces, scoop, shake it. Oh, this tastes great. Ooh, it's salty, but oh, it tastes like watermelon and lime. This is great. And I feel a difference in my body. And so sometimes it's all these like little things that you can do. It's like, is that the game changer? There's no such thing as the game changer. There's lots of little small things. I think that's, for me, I imagine the message, like that's what I've experienced in my life. And I imagine that's part of what you're imparting to your modern aging audience is this, you sort of have to pick and choose in this large menu. And there's certain principles you could use, but at the end of the day, you have to be attuned enough to learn what's going to work for you because what works for Reese and Ron is not going to work for whoever else. It just, if it was that simple, someone would make billions of dollars. Correct. <laughs> right. It's just, it doesn't right. work that way. And anyone well, that tells you like follow this prescription it'll work for everybody. I'm like, oh, you know, actually in life, it's better if I teach you a framework and you could pick. Right. And I'm knowledgeable enough or someone is knowledgeable enough to help you iterate and figure out what works for you. Correct. And that's what I mean by bio-individual, right? Yeah. As soon as we were willing to accept that and that that's, you know, <laughs> if you see your best friend doing something, like I see you working out or whatever, I can't do the same thing you're doing, right? So you've also been doing it for a very long time. I will tell you, though, it's funny. I So I direct episodes of House Hunters, and so I'm on the yeah. road a lot. Yes. And we work very long hours, you know, anywhere between 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Oof. And we're in a foreign city, right? So we're in some city. And so I never used to work out when I was on the yeah. road because I'm like, I'm too tired. It's mm -hmm. too much. Yep. It's just too much. Yes. And then I started working with this cameraman who used to work every day after shooting. And I'm like, are you crazy? What are you doing? He's like, yeah. He goes, I just, I just feel better. Like I need to get that, like just get that energy out of my body. And that's the way I do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So funny enough, this past trip that I just came back from, I yeah. worked out four days in a row. And by the fourth day, I was like, oh, my God, I need to do this. Like, I just, and it wasn't a lot, you know, yeah. I wasn't, you know, I was just doing some hand weights and I would do the elliptical or I'd do the treadmill or whatever. Yeah. And it was like 45 minutes or whatever. And I do it at my own pace. I wasn't trying to run any, win any races, mm -hmm. but just that small shift. And also, but the most important thing is like the shift to my thinking, something that I thought was completely impossible, would never enjoy, would never do. Now, all of a sudden, I put it in a different light and be like, oh, wait a second. That's so this dope. feels good. Yeah. And it is good. So, yeah. So, I just feel like, you know, even at 56, anything is possible. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because I know when I have had to travel for work, right, interviewing, conferences, et cetera, 
the thing that I am extremely anal about is getting my workout in in the morning. You've and always so been that way, though. I, I know. I'm like, just, literally, I think since <laughs> undergrad, you've been that way. Yeah. And it's been, you know, it's funny. My story of like getting fanatical about working out has to do with me dealing with my mental health after the breakup with my first girlfriend. That's literally why I started going to Cole six times a week, two hours a day. Wow. Was Amazing, huh? like, like I just was like, because you remember in undergrad, I was like a buck 50 wet, maybe. <laughs> I was a skinny kid. <laughs> two plus years later, eating, I like to get around chicken, steamed broccoli that my mom would make a lot of times for me, and creatine, buck 85. Wow. Like that became the transformation because I was like, oh, when you put in the work, what's funny is like that early 20s, Ron, that was all just for like, let me just kind of pick stuff up and like, you know, I would read men's, you know, fitness magazine, all those stuff kind of get stuff. But I wasn't very planful about the approach. What I now realize, 48 year old Ron, my powerlifting journey and all that stuff is that I rely on the wisdom and expertise of someone who has the program, right? Because someone knows that a program and do stuff for you and your health and wellness is money. That is a lot. That's worth the price of admission to get someone's expertise like that. Who knows how to like, oh, you want a microdose? I can help you. Like, or whatever the hell it is. Figuring it out for yourself is, is it possible? Yeah, like it is. But the likelihood that you could also injure or hurt yourself is quite high. Right. Well, there's reasons why you have coaches, right? Yeah. So I, what I wanted to ask you about, like, is this this pivot, because you mentioned House Hunters, like, tell me a little bit about that journey, how you got into House Hunters, what that work has been like, what have you seen, how's it, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. <laughs> Aside from and someone TV. who's not watched the show yet, right? You know, say, even with you having been like, you know, producing it for some time. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it was pretty, I don't want to say it was organic, but I had made a documentary and then I, a friend of mine was editing a real estate show called Selling New York. Ah. And got me an interview to go and help produce, to story produce. And I got the job. And that was kind of my first foray into TV, um, producing and directing. And then, yeah. And then I started doing House Hunters Hunters International in 2013. And so that took me to like, I don't know, 40 countries over eight years. It was pretty intense. To travel like that, that's really... Although yeah. it's not all like play, obviously, but you're being in all these amazing places. Oh, yeah. It's really effing cool. Mm, for for a personality like mine, it was amazing. Yeah. And then COVID happened and it all kind of shut down. And in a way, I was really grateful because I was really burnt out, to be mm. frank. Yeah. I was actually supposed to go to Japan and Taiwan in February of 2020. And then, you know, mm. the news started sprinkling in and that was the end of that. But now I do a lot of domestic house hunters with a couple sprinkled in of other locations like the DR and I'm going to the Bahamas in January. And, but it's horrible. Bahamas I know. in January? <laughs> oh, I know. Lisa. Oh, I know. There, there goes that holistic life. My God, <laughs> Bahamas in January. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I know that's really obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, and it just kind of put my passions of filmmaking and travel together right and so i'm yes i completely understand that it is the dream job for many people it is a lot of hard work but i work with a really great group of people which is everything you know because all you need as you know in any industry you just need one bad person like one person with bad energy and the whole thing just Mm -hmm. can collapse right 
and so we're a tight team of like six people. So we need yeah. to all be on the top of our game. And um, yeah. so it's fun, you know, and it's, and it's fun to, for so many people who are huge fans of the show, who yeah. are on the show to meet these people. Cause I would never go to these places. I would never meet these people otherwise. And so yeah. that's kind of the magic of making TVs, just meeting mm. really some very interesting people on yeah. this specific part of their journey. And, and everybody loves to like talk about being on TV and having their 15 minutes of fame whatever so yeah so it's you know and that hopefully will continue until i don't want to do it anymore basically and still doing some of the documentary work and as you get older or as i get older really i just want to be very mindful of the choices that i make right whether whether it's career or personal or uh because nothing as we all know nothing is guaranteed so I often live by the mantra that if I were to die today, I would live a good life and I have no regrets. And mm. I just really want to live each day that way. And it may sound cliche or whatever, but I do really believe that, that I just want to be, just know that I did good things, you know, with the time yeah. that I had here, that I'm doing good things, that I'm doing worthwhile things that I'm, and, you know, even as something, you know, People on our crew, we often joke about how frivolous like House Hunters is and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is, is that it really helped a lot of people, especially through COVID and especially during some of these very dark, dark times. Right. That having that levity and having something that's kind of like an old friend, right, that you can just kind of play in the background. Sometimes you need that mindless stuff to make Mm -hmm. you feel good and look at pretty houses and be in pretty places or whatever. Right. So, you know, on one end, you know, you might think it's, it has no meaning, but it could have a lot of meaning for somebody to just make them feel good for that moment. And that's, that's great. Yeah. That's what watching 90 day fiance is like for my wife and I. Right. (laughs) Exactly. See, everybody has their candy. Wonderful kind of watch to just let loose and spill tea and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And now we, we're getting now, I think, addicted to a new show, Love After Lockdown. I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, why are we watching that? I restarted, I was watching it with the missus last night. I was like, oh, what this are we is, doing? I, I, oh, I know why. Okay, I got to keep watching. I was like, oh God. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and it's got 12 seasons. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Got, oh wow. Like, it's bananas. <laughs> So it's smart. Like what they do is like, and you know this, like when you story, they just follow a lot of couples. And so they just piece it together. And so it allows basically for like probably all the content that they film, you can create all this stuff with it and it's not crazy. just the stuff that airs. I think what's brilliant about like what maybe other shows did this, but I just know this is a night of day fiance. It's the reason why I think, you know, Discovery Plus started as an app because of the popularity of the show. It was like, oh, we have the, what we're filming. Oh, let's show what's happening before they come here on the show, before the 90 days. Oh, let's do pillow talk so people can talk. It was like, that's really, it was kind of really meta to have folks who were on the show talk about the episode of other folks who are on the show. It's really, and then the tell-alls, I mean, that's where, because I think where the line is like, you can't see the tell-off, you have just the cable for watching the, you know, the, the company that has not the fiance, but the tell-all, you have to have the app. Oh, interesting. Okay. See? Which then is just salacious, crazy. Like, people say, you're just like, 
<laughs> and it's just so juicy. I'm just like, well, I, I can't turn away. It's really bad. Yeah. Well, that's what they want, right? Um, <laughs> they're like yeah. reeling you in. They're like, we got one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but I think that that's, you know, whether it's bonding with your wife or, you know, yeah. just kind of de, I don't want to say it's detoxing, but it's kind of, you know, just kind of turning off your brain from all the things that go on during the day. And yeah. I think we all need a little bit of that, you know, and just a little bit of joy and just kind of yeah. meaningless laughter, <laughs> which turns yeah. into meaningful laughter. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, but we're really also very lucky to be able to have that as well, right? So yeah, I I do a whole bunch of, you know, I just do so many different hodgepodge projects. I have so many hodgepodge projects, but um, they all kind of come together and create this mosaic of a life that I've created, you know? And I think that yeah. when we look back, you know, the 50s are a really great time because you are you have so much life ahead of you, potentially, hopefully, but you also have a lot of experience behind you to reflect upon and to be able to really appreciate, you know, or I do anyway. I yeah. think it's just to be able to move forward in life in a meaningful way. Like, that's what I know that I want, you know, and I don't want to yeah. waste time doing things that yeah. don't have any meaning for me anymore. It feels like based on this last statement you shared earlier that you were sharing your wrongdoing there, there I say, right? This no regrets mantra, like live your life fully. Is that the wrongdoing you want to share with the audience or is there a different take on that or something altogether different? No, I, I really, by the way, I think the wrongdoing thing is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, living without regret, you know, it's... It's hard because I think a, peop a lot of people do have a lot of regret. But I do feel like instead of thinking of it as regret, but more as a learning lesson for yourself to move forward, I think is really critical. I think that we beat ourselves up a little bit too much, the kind of giving yeah. it energy. Like, don't give that stuff energy. You know, give the stuff that you really want to nurture energy. Because we're limited in the amount of energy we have. We think that we're limitless, but we're not. You know, and before you know it, we're suffering from burnout and all this kind of stuff. Like, be very mindful about where you're placing your focus and your energy. And, and also realize that even though tragedy may feel like tragedy at the moment, and there is, and tragedy is, there's so many horrible things happening in the world today and in many people's personal lives right now as we're recording this. And know that we and you and I, we will all move through it and we'll learn from it. We'll grow from it. Unfortunately, that's part of life, right? It just, we grow through pain and tragedy. When we accept it, I think it becomes a little bit easier or knowing that there will be light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, that there, there okay. will be a time where I won't feel like this and I will feel stronger because of it. Well, Risa, before I let you go, thank you for that nugget of wisdom. Just hearing your pivot to filmmaker, to modern aging, being able to take those skills and still do what you love. And then finding a house hunters, do what you love, travel, although it's it's rigorous and it's a lot of work, you're, um, you're living your best life, it sounds like. Which yeah, is no, I'm really grateful for all of it. And you know what? And nobody should define who you, who you are and what you do. You know, I think that we place 
too many definitions on other people and on ourselves, especially. And I think we should stop. (laughs) Stop with labels, stop with definitions, create your best life. Just do what you want. Don't hurt other people. Live a fulfilling life. Do what makes you happy. Hopefully it's legal for the most part. Hopefully. Hopefully. Legals in the eye of the beholder, apparently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But Risa, before I let you go, what would you like to promote? How can people follow you, find you? Yeah, so I have... So Modern Aging, the website is thisismodernaging.com. I do have a strength training course with Tina. And that's at, uh, yeah, getstrongover40.com for people. It's like a 12-week program that's specifically made for women over 40. I also have a program called dreamretirementinmexico.com for those who are like looking to retire in Mexico, want to know what that's kind of like. Mm. Um, We have a free webinar and that's dreamretirementinmexico.com forward slash webinar. Uh, We have, you know, I have my Dream Retirement in Mexico podcast and YouTube channel. You could look there. Modern Aging also has... I know, (laughs) I know, please. Modern Aging also has a YouTube channel and podcast, which is a little bit on hold because of all the things that are going on but yeah. will be restarted in 2024. So yeah, and Instagram, Facebook, those sorts of things. This is Modern Aging or Dream Retirement in Mexico. <laughs> Risa, I just always appreciated your hustle. So thank you for being a guest on Ronderings. We'll have to make sure, because we're still in the area, we got to do this in person. Not yeah. on the mic, obviously, but like just kind of hang out, hang out. And have a meal. Yes. Have a pancit or something. Um, <laughs> See, you 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 had me a pancet. It, that does not take me a lot to come with like, where? Where's the pancet? <laughs> Have a little calamansi juice with vodka. Oh, we can- exactly. A little hollow yeah. hollow. <laughs> God, okay. Lunchtime. Anyway. Thank you so much, Ron. You're welcome, Risa. Ron Durings Universe. We keep coming with amazing guests like Risa. So check us out on the internet. Peace. Thank you, Risa, for this episode. I'm sitting in space with your rondering because it's something I think about a lot being a 48-year-old, and that is living life without regrets, how much life can be limitless, but yet we still have to prioritize, and it comes with all kinds of things, right? It's not just joy, but it's also tragedy. There's sometimes some trauma, and so there's a lesson to be learned from all of those things, so to be able to bring all those things together and take the lessons out of it is something I'm coming away with in this episode, especially as I try to think about all the great things you're doing in modern aging and how I can continue to age gracefully, uh, hopefully for the next 48 years, fam. So we comment, we comment, check us out on Ronderings. Peace. <laughs>